0: Make good choices. You might want to guess how many choices you make on a daily basis. The average—I'll tell you because second time—the average adult makes thirty-five thousand choices a day. I don't know how they figured that out. Who counted them? But that's what they say: thirty-five thousand choices a day. Most of them are trivial, like uh, uh, it's cold this morning. Wear a coat. Some of you forgot, and you're freezing right now. Uh, uh, I want to look nice this morning. Wear this. I don't care how I look. Wear this. Some of you fit into either one of those categories. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to have, uh, you know, go this route on my way to work instead of this route. There are lots of choices that we make that just don't really matter. But there's some choices that we make. Can we all agree? They are life-shaping forever. You're sitting next to many of you, uh, one of your life choices. I trust you made the right one. Uh, you're in jobs that you accepted at some point and said, yes, I'll work here. Maybe you questioned that one. But that was one of your life choices. We make choices and, uh, you know, uh, just some some sayings that you can find on any Pinterest board. Uh, Life is the sum of our choices. Pinterest. Guys, everybody got a Pinterest account? Uh, The choices we make today determine what we have, are, and do tomorrow. You agree with that? Yeah. Uh, We are free to choose what we want, but we are not free to bypass the consequences of our choices. When my, uh, my kids would leave for the night uh, back in high school, even now sometimes when I text them as they're off living in different parts of the state, going to school and just living life or whatever, uh, that's one of the last phrases that we say to our kids before we sign off. I don't know if you have a sign-off phrase in your house, but one of our last phrases, text or voice, is, hey, make good choices. It's just kind of become our mantra It's our hope for our kids. It's our hope for Eleanor and I in our lives that we make the best choices that we can make because we understand how, understand how important our choices are. Do you? Like, like, when was the last time you really sat down and evaluated your choices? Most of us just react, most of us just choose. And some of us are bewildered. I can't believe how, how did I get here? Well, you made choices. A lot of you. And you got what you got because you chose what you chose. Wouldn't it be better if we took the time to make good choices? That's what this morning's message is about. In fact, I don't know if I'm gonna do this every sermon uh, during this series, but if you have your phone, you can do this while I'm talking, I hope. just go into your reminders app or or whatever your calendar app is, and at the beginning of every day this coming week, can you write down a reminder to yourself to make good choices today? That's one of my applications. I just want you to wake up every morning to whatever day you're waking up to this week, and I want you to see a reminder from this message that you're gonna make good choices today. I don't see many people going for their phones, and I'm offended, I'll be honest with you, as your pastor, it's just, it's hurtful that I'm giving you some good ideas here, but uh, you, whatever you feel like you're supposed to do, you go ahead. <laughs> We're gonna study a guy named David. Uh, David was uh, the second king of Israel. Anybody remember who the first king was? Saul, was Saul a good king? No, he wasn't. You know why? He made bad choices over and over again. This guy blew it when he had an opportunity to honor God and persist as a good leader. David, on the other hand, was famous for his good choices. As we arrive on the scene in David's story today, he's he's been building a resume. Uh, He's got a great record of, of choosing God over himself, of of honoring even a king who hates him and who seeks to ke- kill him. He, he's choosing to humbly serve this king. Uh, he's been running from Saul for quite some time now. He's been uh, basically ostracized from his country. He's had to run to the Philistines, uh, his, his mortal enemy. Uh, he's, he's even had opportunities in his running to actually end the crisis. He he's, he's, was just a Chapter previous to what we're going to read today in a cave with all of his men. When who shows up? Saul himself. And he comes into this cave, not to be crass or whatever, but he needs to take care of nature's business. Oh. (laughs) It's in there. You can read it, chapter 24. And he's hanging out in this cave, and he's doing what he needs to do. And and there's David and all of his men. And his men say, David, this is your shot. This is God's anointed time. He's he's completely indisposed. He can't defend himself. End him right now, and we'll go be king. And David says, no, because David knows God's word. God's word says, don't don't lay a hand on my anointed. Don't, Don't be messing with my leader. He also knows that God's word says, don't take vengeance into your own hands. And so instead of cutting Saul's throat, he cuts his robe. And Saul gets done and he walks out of the cave and David's on one side of the valley and Saul's on the other and he yells out to Saul and he says, hey, Saul, I could have killed you. He holds up a piece of his robe to let him know that that was the case. And Saul looks down and he sees his garment has been ripped right where David's got it cut. It's a humbling moment for this king who still persists in his bad decisions. But David, David's been making some good ones up until this chapter. We're going to see how David uh, starts out making a bad choice, and then by the grace of God is saved from making that choice. We're going to watch another guy uh, who is the perpetrator in this chapter kind of be the cause of David's bad choice. We're going to see all this unfold as we go along. Let's read. David rose and went out uh, or down to the wilderness of Paran, and uh, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. Uh, he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. That's 4,000 animals, if my math is correct. That's a lot of livestock. He, uh, uh, he's, he's got some coin. And he, he was shearing his sheep in, in this place called Carmel. He, he was basically um, reaping the benefits, the rewards of having animals that bore wool. Uh, and so, t- you know, t- two or three times a year, they'd shave these animals down, take the wool to market. That's what he was doing. Uh, now, the, uh, the name of the man was Nabal. Anybody know what Nabal means? I'll tell you. Fool. How how mean do you have to be as a parent when your kid comes out to be like, this one's going to be a dummy, so we'll just, we'll get it out of the way. We'll just call him fool. That's, that's his name. His name means folly. His name means fool. Uh, he was married to a girl though whose name was Abigail. A- Abigail is a compound Hebrew word, Abba, which is father, and Gael, which means joy, and so it either means the father of joy, that doesn't seem right for a girl, Uh, but it means, it could mean the the one who brings her father joy. Different experience at Abigail's house when she came out. But these guys were were linked together, don't forget that marriages back then were not by choice, they were arranged, and so Abigail was the reluctant wife of the fool. (laughs) Some of you can identify, all right, uh, (laughs) that's horrible, fellas, you're all great. The woman was discerning and beautiful, and the man was harsh and badly behaved. He fit his name, and he was a Calebite. Now the Calebite thing there is important because uh, Caleb was actually the founder of a a town called Bethlehem, heard of it? Uh, What was Bethlehem also known of in in, in the scriptures? The city of who? The city of David, this this is David's hometown. This this guy Nabal, if there was anybody in Israel who would uh, have mercy on David in this time of his running was gonna be someone from his hometown. David's even going to refer to uh, Nabal as his father. He says, help out uh, your son, David. He's, he's hoping for homey treatment. And uh, so that's kind of where we, we see the relationship coming from. David heard it uh, in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And so uh, he sends 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. He'll know who I am. Uh, uh, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all uh, that you have. Uh, a great conference of blessing. I hear that you have shears. Hey, just, you know, word through the grapevine. Saw on Facebook, you're shearing your sheep, and, uh, and now your shepherds have been with us. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, and, and we did them no harm. So, so these sheep, there's, there's 3,000 sheep, and they've got to spread out all over the countryside there in Paran, where uh, David's, uh, you know, men have been posted up, hiding from Saul. And, and all, the whole time that, that Nabal's shepherds were out tending the sheep there, David never stole one sheep. It says that, he says, uh, your shepherds have been with us they've been in our region and we did them no harm we didn't, we didn't do anything to your shepherds we were really kind to them uh, and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel you can count them every one of those sheep they took out there they came back he's basically inferring listen we could have but we didn't and in fact we protected to an extent that we were an assistant to you we were, we were helpful to you and in, uh, to your uh, you know, herds he says, ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men, since we were so good to you, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. We don't exactly know what feast it was, but apparently there was some celebration, probably something uh, that was gonna bring honor to Yahweh. And so uh, they, they, they wanted to have the feast, even though they were ostracized in their own country, uh, but they didn't have the means to celebrate, to provide for themselves in this feast. And so he says, listen, we've come on a feast day. Uh, David asks through these 10 guys, please give up whatever you can. Whatever you have at hand, so that your servants uh, and your son David can have this feast. There it is. I'm your son. We're homies. We're tight. I've helped you out. How about a couple sheep? Nabal has a choice here. He's been given an offer. And a smarter man would have said, Sure, Dave, but we're dealing with a fool. It's a little Nabal in all of us, isn't it? Isn't there? And, and, and we are all prone to poor choices. Let's watch Nabal make his, you ready? Uh, it says in the next verse, when, when David's young men came, uh, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. Read there, they were made to wait. Nabal's like, I'm not, I don't wanna, you just go over there. Ever gone into that business that won't uh, respond to you? I went into a, a local fast food joint and their drive-through was really busy this night that I went in and I stood at, at what is normally a place where you could take your order for what seemed like a way too long amount of time. And I finally said to the four or five people who are no more than 10 feet from me and paying no attention to me, I was like, hey, I know this is where, where you do business, are you taking orders right now? And they finally said, oh yeah, the girl up the front is, is you know, and they, they gave me the excuse as to why I hadn't been served yet, but I was like, hey. Why the wait? It's called fast food. This isn't fast at All this is what's what's happened with these guys. They were made to wait. And then finally, after a time, Nabal answered David's servants, and he comes back with this. This is his choice. Instead of, yeah, here's some sheep, he disses David. If this was a rap battle, uh, this would be his rap. Who is David. Who who is David? In fact, who is this son of Jesse? He makes it, he goes beyond just saying, I don't know, I've never heard of this David guy. He's totally heard of him. He killed Goliath. The whole nation heard of David. But Nabal's like, "Ah, David's nobody. And then he disses David's dad. He says he's nobody because his dad is nobody. Who's this son of Jesse? Loser. He says, there are many servants these days who are breaking away from their master's. He takes Saul's side in this whole conflict between Saul and David. He's like, listen, you're supposed to be a general in the army of Israel. You're supposed to be this great servant. By the way, David had done both in humility and with, you know, with a perfect record. But he says, listen, Saul has filled all the newspapers with his tweets about how you are such an idiot and how you are such a rebel, and I, t- I side with Saul. And he had... Uh, None too veiled term says there are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters, referring to David breaking away from Saul. He says, shall I take my bread? Read read this verse. Count how many times the the me, me, me pronouns come. Ready? Shall I, one, take my two bread and my three water and my meat four uh, that I, five, have killed for my six shears and give it to men who come from I, seven, do not know where? uh Seven times in one sentence, uh, he, he refers to himself. I think if, if, if this was like a recording, those words would be emphasized. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat? Oh, I don't know how it goes, right? Nabal had a bad case of the me, me, me's. You ever had a bad case of the me, me, me's? I'll let you know you have. You're human, you are obsessed with yourself. You love you, and you love you getting your way. So a lot of times when it comes to choices, you know what your first stop and only stop is, the mirror. How's this gonna affect me? What's my bottom line gonna be? You don't take the time to consider how this choice might affect other people in your life. You don't consider how this might cost those around you. Nabal, uh, And his response to David, who has an armed force at his disposal, decides that disrespecting this man, refusing this man his request, even though it was reasonable, was his best move because it was going to benefit him the most. He goes on, so David's men says, turned away and they came back and told him all this. So David, David has been answered. David's answer from uh, Nabal is, no thanks, no sheep for you, next. David has a choice now. He's famous for making good ones, but here's a hard truth. Poor choices often produce other poor choices. Notice that in your marriage? Notice that when it comes to dealing with your boss? Notice that when someone... Sounds off on Facebook, and you feel like, well, there's no real consequence in me saying something nasty back. It's just a typewriter with a screen. Yeah, poor choices, just breed poor choices. One bad turn deserves another, it seems, right? David gets the news. Here's what he says He says to his men, Every man strap on his sword. This escalated quickly. We went from, you know, five or six sheep being in dispute here to David ordering his men to arm up. How many men? Everybody. Uh, He's not going for a show of force. He's not just gonna take a few guys and say, listen, how about some sheep for real? Can we get some sheep, see the sword? Give me some sheep. No, we're way past the sheep now. He's like, seriously, that's what Nabal said? I'm out here running for my life from a crooked king. I've provided protection for him and his shepherds the whole time they've been taking care of these sheep. I just asked for some mutton, and he says no. Everybody arm up, and every man did. They strapped on their sword, and and David says, you know what, I'm not just gonna order this, this consequence. I'm gonna be at the front of the line. He leaves the safety from wherever he's hiding and he straps on a sword himself and he says, I'm going to go take care of business, uh, you know, at the front of this thing. He says, I'm going to take 400 men. A little overkill here. 400 armed soldiers against a bunch of shepherds. Anybody want to guess how that's going to turn out? He leaves 200 behind to watch the baggage. Yeah. Anybody been there? Someone makes a bad choice. And your response is an equally bad choice, but you feel justified. If they get to be stupid, I get to be stupid. People invoke the me, me, me rule. Uh, they do like this car did uh, just yesterday after lunch. Eleanor and I were having lunch yesterday and over there by Sam's and uh, 60, it's just the worst traffic tangle in the world. And some guy decided, you know what, like, you know how you wait from the, from the sides to, to merge onto the main flow of traffic? He decides, you know what, it's more important that I get out here than anybody else does, so I'm going to go out to the one gap where everybody can turn left or right off of the, uh, you know, what is it there, Gornto Lake Road, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of jam my vehicle into both lanes so that nobody can pass. Because it was apparently all about him. And so people around him who want to go when the light is green on the lane that they're supposed to be going on, they start taking things into their own hand. I will not confirm nor deny that I was one of those people. (laughs) But they start flying off the road. Have you ever seen people try to get around the bozo who just blocked both lanes by going off the road themselves to get around him? Does everybody agree that this is a formula for something really bad going, you know, going on? Yeah. (laughs) I shouldn't be telling this story. Um, But it's all because one person makes one bad choice and lots of people around them continue to make bad choices as a result. That's what David's doing. You've done it in your marriage, where your partner said something to you, and you thought the best thing for you to do was to say something meaner back, and you don't understand why you're in my office talking after that. You've seen one person uh, cheat on their um, reporting of hours at work, and you figure what works for them. Why shouldn't I? You've seen bad choices and your reaction is to make additional bad choices. Can we talk about poor choices just for a second? What makes a poor choice a poor choice? Three things, at least. There's probably more, but these three things. First of all, it's rash. If you've made a poor choice in your life, it, 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 maybe not all of them, but probably a lot of them you made fast. David's been famous for making good choices. You know what, if you read through the, uh, the book of 1 Samuel and all the stories about David, almost every time it comes for, uh, time for him to make a choice, you know what his first move is? Knees. He bows before a holy God and says, God, what do you want? Tell me what to do. He prays. I'm not saying that you haven't made bad choices after praying, because a lot of times, even if God says no, a lot of times we could say, no, I hear you, God, but I'm gonna do it anyway but i would say that if you've made bad choices a lot of them were made without you ever consulting god or ever consulting someone else they were rash they were quick they were on the spur the second thing that makes a poor choice a poor choice is that it's wrong in this situation david is wrong the same thing that he had been uh, right about just a chapter before about not taking vengeance The same thing that kept him from running his sword through his rival king was now the thing that he was choosing uh, to invoke, his right, his entitlement. He's had enough, that's it. And he's going to go and offend God's word. You know what it says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and also in Romans chapter 12? It says in Leviticus, yeah, go. You shall not take, what's it say? This is Torah. This is the Old Testament law. David knows this rule. He loved the scriptures. He'd sit, he'd sit as a shepherd and just sing songs about the scriptures and about his God. He knows that he should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but he should love his neighbor as he loves himself. He knows he should forgive Nabal. He knows what he's supposed to do, but poor choices don't take into account the right he says, no, this is what I want. This is how I feel. This is what he deserves. Poor choices are rash. Poor choices are wrong. And poor choices ultimately wreak havoc on the future. Like we said at the beginning of our sermon, you have the right to make whatever choice you want, but you don't have the right to duck the consequences of that choice. They're going to happen. You're going to make your bed, and you're going to have to lie in it. It's the whole premise of the Back to the Future movies, right? You know, why did Marty McFly have to get into, or not Marty, what's his name? It doesn't matter. Why do he have to get in the DeLorean and go back in time? Because some poor choices were made, things were at risk of not being what they were in the present if he didn't change them in the past. Our choices dramatically impact, they shape, what our future will become. I was uh, in the trailer that Eleanor and I have purchased Uh, It's a 1954 Spartan, it's 35 feet long, it is a big tin tube of gloriousness, and uh, there's lots of things that needs to be fixed in it, so we're in there trying to pull out the stuff that needs to get pulled out so we can get it fixed, and I've learned in 25 years of doing projects that demo, although very fun, fellas who's with me on demo, demo's a blast, I love breaking things, it's so therapeutic. But there are things that can be done during demo that will make the overall project far more costly and last longer than you want it to. You got to be careful with what you swing a sledgehammer at. You got to watch which pipes you're cutting. Make sure that you don't do more damage than you're willing to fix. I can't tell you how well I've detailed for you the many times where I thought I was doing something good and I just made something worse. All those uh, times uh, were preceded by some poor choices. Some, most of them out of ignorance, in my defense. But some of them just out of haste, out of uh, getting going and not being wise. Poor choices, they're rash, they're wrong, they wreak havoc on our future. That's why it's great that the story takes a turn here. We get introduced again to a character that was talked about in the first few verses, a lady named Abigail Here comes the lady to save the day. The bozo men are making poor choices all over the place. And here comes Abigail. We all need an Abigail to help us make good choices because we need someone to risk themselves to right our wrongs. You know, the the Christian life is is a team sport. I've told you that before. And part of us being on the same team is that when some of us are in the midst of bad choices, others of us who see those bad choices ring the bell. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You really want to do that? You really want to make that choice? I know you're in the midst of an emotional, you know, uh, maelstrom here. There's lots of stuff going on, but can I be the voice of reason in your life? You don't want to do this because this is going to turn out badly. It's a bad choice. Start calling those people in your life Abigail. I don't know if you are actually knowing Abigail. That might be confusing for you, but... Uh, that's what Abigail is in David's life. She's someone who risks herself to right the wrongs. One of the young men uh, that was working for uh, Nabal comes to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and says, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, uh, and he, uh, he railed at them. Our, our, Nabal was a fool, no kidding. Uh, Yet the men, they were, they were very good to us and we suffered no harm while we were around them and, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we, uh, we went with them. They, they were our protectors. Uh, they were a wall to us both by day and by uh, night and, and while we were with them uh, keeping the sheep, they, they, they took care of us all the way. Now therefore, know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all his house and he is such a worthless man that no one could speak anything it his life. This is, you know, how your employees talk about you bosses out there. Yeah, I know. I hope not. I hope that's not true. But uh, can we at least give this guy some credit for ringing the bell? He goes to someone who can help and he says, listen, David's armed up, man. He's got 400 men heading our way with swords. This is not going to be a good day. Somebody's got to do something. You know? Uh, He he bends over to the droid and says, you're our only hope, Abigail Wan, right? I mean, it's, 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 uh. (laughs) That's stupid. I didn't say that last night. So Abigail has a choice, third choice in the story. What does Abigail do? Here, here's what she could have done. Run. Put some distance between her and the fool. Okay? She could have done nothing, which by the way, for women in the Middle East at this time, that was probably the default action. You, you didn't tell your husbands anything. You didn't act without their say-so on anything. But thankfully, Abigail did neither of those. It says that Abigail made haste. She leapt into action. She went to Publix. She got 200 loaves. Probably those Hawaiian rolls. Those are delicious. Two skins of wine. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's what she got. She got five sheep that had already been prepared. They were hanging in the butcher shop there on their property She got five sias, it's about 45 pounds of parched grain for them to make additional cakes after the dinner was done and 100 clusters of raisins, because you gotta have the fruit group represented and then 200 cakes of figs, donuts for dessert. She laid them all on some donkeys and she said to her young men in verse 20, she says, go on before me, behold, I come after you. Tell David not to kill anybody yet. I'm on my way. But she did not tell her husband the ball, which was according to custom and culture an offense, but according to the situation at hand, wisdom. She does all of these things so that calamity and destruction does not take place. She rode on her donkey and she came down under the cover of the mountain. Behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them there. She was a hero. You ever think about heroes? Who are heroes? Heroes are people who do something that sacrifices themselves for the sake of others. And the, the body of Christ is full of potential heroes when it comes to the choices that Christians make, because we're all prone to making bad choices, and every one of us needs to be in relationship with someone close enough so that that someone can be in our, our Abigail and be a hero in our life. Head us off at the past before we make a bad choice. That's what Abigail's doing. I mean, certainly it's partially self-preservation. She's a member of the household of Nabal, and David's coming with some swords. But she also, as we're going to see, is interested in the story of David moving forward. She's a hero. She's like my sister when I was in middle school. My sister bravely told me that I shouldn't wear the Mork for Mork rainbow suspenders with the rainbow belt to school. Suspenders and a belt, first of all, just bad but that they were, they were both rainbow colored. Back in those days, it would have been fashion suicide. It was just horrible. And so before I went to, you know, seventh grade for the first day, she said, whoa, cowboy, before you get on the bus, lose the suspenders and the belt. Wear this instead. She's my hero. The guy's on the 1517 to Paris. You're like, what's that? It's a train. A couple years ago, these... Soldiers were vacationing in Europe and uh, they're on this train to Paris and uh, uh, a terrorist gets up and he's going to take over the train and do, I don't know what kind of unthinkable uh, things to the inhabitants of the boxcar and Spencer Stone and Anthony Sadler and Alex Scarletus, if I'm saying that right, leapt into action. They took this guy down, made the news. Clint Eastwood made a movie about it. But what makes them a hero? Disregard for themselves and an interest in things moving in a better direction. Abigail, without regard to herself, throws herself into the story. And she's someone, like we all need, who points out the poverty in a poor choice. We need someone in our lives to point out the poverty in our poor choices. When Abigail saw David, it says in the story, uh, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face, and she bowed to the ground, and she fell at his feet, and she said 153 Hebrew words. This is the longest dialogue or diatribe of a woman in all of the Old Testament scriptures. She says these things. She says, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She's all apologetic for something she had nothing to apologize for. Remember that, that's, that's good. Start with the Sorry. Uh, in, in lots of things in life it'll, it'll get you far please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant she says let, let not my lord regard this worthless fellow again pounding on the ball but I guess you know shoe fits uh, uh, for as his name is so is he Nabal is his name and folly is with him, but if, if I, your servant, did not see the young men, oh my Lord, uh, whom you sent. She's, she's basically acting like a manager at a restaurant where, where a, a server has given really poor service to a particular table, dumped a whole pot of coffee on them, right? And, and what's the manager's job in that situation? Had nothing to do with the crime, but comes up and they're there to make everything better. Oh, I should have been here, I should have never let Trudy serve you, I know she's got the coffee pot thing, you know, trouble and... Uh, you know, let me comp your meal, and if, if you're, you know, blessings on you if you're a manager like that in a restaurant or in any business. If you're uh, the owner of a business, you know, you come behind and have to fall on your sword for all kinds of things that you had nothing to do with. That's what uh, Abigail's doing here, but now it gets interesting. Now then, she says, my Lord, as the Lord lives, lots of Lords here, but if it's lower ca- lowercase Lord, it's David, if it's uppercase, it's Yahweh, okay? Everybody clear on that? Uh, she says, My Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord God has restrained you, this is so great, get this. Because the Lord God has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Does everybody see what she just did? She starts talking in the past tense. Did you see that? As the Lord has restrained you, what's David on the way to do? Cut down the whole household of Nabal. He's going to kill everybody. But here comes Abigail, Abigail, and she's talking in the past tense. Like this has this, the Lord has already gone before me, and He's restrained you from what? From blood guilt. He's kept you from breaking His own laws. I'm claiming that Abigail seems to say. I'm saving you from your own hand. She says, and now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. And she says, hey, I went to Publix. Here's your food. But before that, she says, hey, David, I'm trying to save you from yourself. You're gonna blow your kingship. Everything that you've worked so hard to preserve in one choice can be undone. Isn't that the case in life? Just one bad choice can ruin everything that we've worked hard to achieve. We need someone to present the possibilities a better choice can bring. It says in verse 28, please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. He's gonna talk about a, a preferred future, not a future that has on David's record the blood guilt of this fool in the ball. No, listen, if you had this direction, things could be so much better. Uh, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you shall live. If mes- men rise up and pursue you uh, uh, and, and, and they seek... Uh, Your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living. It's basically Hebrew meaning uh, the scroll of the living or the book of the living. Uh, In in the care of the Lord your God. God will take care of you. You don't have to take things in your own hands. God will preserve you. The lives of your enemies, and this is so great. She says, the lives of your enemies, uh, he shall sling out as as from the hollow of a sling. She, She totally goes object lesson. What's David famous for? Sling, he threw a rock at a big tall guy. And Israel won, you know, a war. And, and she says, David, you don't want to go and kill ball. You're going to ruin everything. And don't forget, you're on this path. You're God's anointed. You're, you're, you're going to be the prince of Israel. You've already seen God at work in your story. May he take all of your enemies and throw them from you like a rock from your sling. She says, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good, that he has done, or that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel. My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your servant. Way to go, Abigail. And she didn't just remember the groceries. She said some incredibly life-altering things. That kept David from making a horrible choice. David says to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He he knows from whom she comes. Blessed be God who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, the next verse says, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from my blood guilt and from avenging myself. With my own hand, for as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you unless you had turned and come to meet me. And truly by morning there had not been left, uh, truly then by morning there would not be left uh, to Nabal so much as one male. I was killing everybody. Then David received from her hand what she brought and he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your position. I don't have time to read the whole story, but you want to know how it ends? Nabal has a stroke. It's in your book, read it. He strokes out, 10 days later he's dead on his own. You know how he strokes out? He was drunk. He was too drunk for, for Abigail to even talk to him. And the next morning when he sobers up, she comes to him and says, you know how close you were to dying? David was gonna come and kill you and every male in your house and, and, and God you know, strikes ball down with a stroke. 10 days later, he's dead on his own. Is God our protector? Is God our avenger? Yeah. You know what happens to Abigail? David marries her. And they live happily ever after. Pretty good story, right? But how does it become the story? Well, it starts with some really poor choices, one by her fool and one in response by the king. But she sticks her neck out. She becomes a hero. She says what needs to be said. She points out the folly in David's choice. She, she says, listen, this is your option. It's like us when we were raising our kids. We used to tell our kids, hey, listen, you got a choice right now. You can either clean up your room, all right, And and if you clean up your room, you can come out with the rest of us and have an ice cream sandwich. It's going to be great. Or you can choose not to clean up your room, and you're going to spend the rest of the week in it. Your choice. What do you want to do? She paints that picture for David and says, hey, man, you can have God's blessing or God's curse. And David wisely, this is the key to the story. Everybody in here who's got an Abigail in your ear, heed David's example. He wisely listens to the messenger from God and he is saved from the destruction of his own hand. I pray you wake up every morning this week to that reminder to yourself. Make good choices. But I also want to ask you to do one more thing. If you want on your phones, because they got note apps on there or just in a you know writing on your bulletin or whatever. Can, can you write down who the Abigails are in your life? Who's your Abigails? Who are your Abigails? Maybe it's your husband or your wife? Maybe it's a good friend, you know, someone uh, that you uh, respect spiritually and, and relationally, just you know, love them, and, and, and they have your ear, and God has used them in the past to keep you from making some bonehead move that was going to wreck your life. Who's your Abigail's? Uh, added to that, who needs to be someone who is your Abigail? Who's someone who's been talking to you that you just haven't been paying attention to because you're like, nah, way smarter than you? Or maybe they're saying it to you, and, uh, this isn't a message about that, but maybe they're saying it to you in a way that's naggy. It's mean. Can we all agree that there's some truth in even the worst packages? And there might be certain people that even if they're coming about it the wrong way, you still need to listen to because God's trying to speak through them even though they're kind of messing it up with their delivery. Who's your Abigails? And then who needs, who needs you to be their Abigail. There's someone in your life right now who is making bad choices. You know it, everybody else around him knows it, and nobody's saying anything. It's time for someone to speak truth in love, but maybe it's you, and you need to be someone's Abigail today. You need to have the conversation. Hey man, the way you're living, this choice you're making, the the, the, the things that you surround yourself with in life, it's just, it's not God honoring, it's not good for you, it's not good for us. And something needs to change. I love you, I wanna be a help to you. Let me be your Abigail. Proverbs 27, 17 is a famous verse, I'll leave you with it. Iron sharpens iron, and so one man sharpens another. Who's heard that one before? We usually don't know the verses around the big verses though. Can I share with you what the next verse says? Verse 18 says, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who guards his master will be honored. The iron sharpening iron thing, yeah, everybody, you know, make sure you're you know, saying the things that need to be said in each other's lives will we'll benefit from, but what it says there is, listen, you who goes and tends the fig tree, you get to eat the fruit. You who tends or guards his master, you're gonna get the honor. Every, listen, what's he saying? This proverb's saying to us, it is everybody helps everybody make good choices, everybody wins. If people just kind of put their head in the sand and hope that someone will just come to the conclusion themselves and make the right choices, we continue to lose every time in those situations. May God grant us the grace to make good choices. May God grant us the courage to help others make good choices. And may God get the glory for the good choices in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your word a chance to open it today, and to be reminded of what could be the most fundamental, rudimentary thing in, in all of life. Everything got just completely out of whack in Genesis chapter 3 when the first humans made the first bad choice. And then we've been making bad choices ever since. God, would you save us from ourselves? Would you lead us away from the rash and the wrong? Would you, would you help us make choices that honor you? sustain ourselves. Would you you help us be a help to other people? Not in a nagging, condescending way, but in a loving, speaking truth kind of way so that together we get less like we used to be and more like who you are. So that together as a church, there's there's a pervasive purity, Uh, a group of people making good choices. So that as we make good choices, your light shines in our community. More people are drawn to you and they make the greatest choice ever of of following in faith. uh, Your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, It comes down to our choices. God, help us to make good ones, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Go and have another great week in this greatest year ever. Make great choices. God bless you.